The homilies or sermons contained in these podcasts were delivered by Deacon Joe Dietz, a permanent deacon serving at St. Edward Catholic Church in Ashland, Ohio, a parish of the Diocese of Cleveland. Each homily is preceded by a reading of the Gospel of the Day. All these homilies are the same in content as those preached. They have been recreated to improve the sound quality of the podcast. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Amen, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, amen, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything for which they are to pray, it shall be granted to them by my heavenly Father. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Gospel of the Lord. Imagine for a minute that you're on your way home and you look at your neighbor's house and you see smoke coming out of the back. And you go over to take a closer look and you see that there's a fire in the rear of the house and it's spreading through the house. You also look in the front window and you see your neighbor asleep on the couch. You rush into the house, you shake your neighbor awake, and you tell them frantically that their house is on fire and they have to get out. And they look at you and they say, what business is that of yours? Who do you think you are coming into my house and telling me such a thing? Why don't you look after your own house and keep your nose out of my house and its business? This is my house, and I will decide if and when it is on fire, and if and when I will leave. Now, get out. Would we not be completely shocked to get that response? Why would anyone respond in such a negative way to our efforts to save them? And while not likely in the case of a fire, those responses might very well be the ones we would expect would fear if we were to try to correct or instruct our neighbor about areas of serious sin in their life. In fact, it would be concern over just such a response and the accompanying feelings that would in many cases keep us from ever attempting such an approach. Why the difference? In both cases, we are trying to save the person. In both cases, we should be acting out of love for the other. But while in the first case we would be considered by most wrong to ignore the fire and not intervene, in the case of a neighbor's sin, we would be considered by most to be off base and out of line to interfere. Perhaps one reason these are viewed differently is that everyone agrees on the threat and danger of the fire. Not only is it a risk to the life and property of the neighbor, but it could also quickly become a danger to others. Sin, on the other hand, has become an area of wide disagreement. In many cases, the secular world denies the existence of sin altogether. And even among so-called believers, there is much debate about what is sin and what isn't, with many believing that serious sins are limited to a few big ones such as murder, 
and that many other sinful actions are matters of personal choice and discretion as to their sinfulness, and would certainly not be areas of neighborly or community concern. A second reason these two situations may be viewed differently is the apparent immediacy of the threat. That fire is actively burning with smoke and heat, and the threat to life and property is seen as real and immediate, requiring prompt action. It is not something that allows time for debate or reflection. It is not something one can wait until some point later in life to consider more seriously. While the consideration of one's personal sin is something people often choose to put off, preferring to live in the moment and delay any thoughts or concerns about the effect or consequences of sin, present or eternal consequences, even though the delay itself has an impact on both. When we look at today's scripture, there is a notable difference compared to the fire example. In both the first reading and the gospel, there is a prior existing condition beyond the geography of neighbors, in that there is a relationship between the message sender and the recipient. In the case of Ezekiel, God is telling his prophet how God wants the prophet to relay God's message to his people, the Israelites, with whom God is in a covenant relationship. In the Gospel, Matthew writes, If your brother sins against you, this most certainly implies that the person to be corrected is in relationship with the person doing the correcting. While this would not necessarily indicate a blood relative, the term brother certainly indicates a member of the church, a person with whom there already exists a shared belief and common interest in following Jesus, a person with whom there is already a bond, a relationship that is based on a love of God and love of neighbor, a person whose sin, if left uncorrected, would not only hurt the person, but also the larger church, which is why if the change of heart does not take place during the first one-on-one -on -one attempt, it makes sense to involve others, and if necessary, the whole church, in the correction. If there is a group with whom we share the belief and pursuit of loving and following Jesus, it is most often our family, and hopefully we would not hesitate to address an area of serious sin within our family. One of the true graces of sharing life with a spouse that shares our Christian faith is that we are in the best position to call one another onward and upward with regard to our faith in God and our relationship with Jesus. It is the duty of parents to work toward the salvation of their children and for children to honor their parents. So addressing serious sin in love should not be something that we hesitate to do with those that we are closest to. But what about those outside our families? There may not be many other people today with whom we have such a Christ-centered relationship. For most of us, once we get outside of our families, we spend our time with those we work with, that we recreate with, that our kids go to school or play sports with, with any number of other folks for any number of reasons, but our faith and shared Christian belief is often not the center of those relationships. So what about the many others we interact with on a regular basis? Do we have any obligation to try to correct them? Perhaps the better question is, do we have any obligation to love them? Unless the church and we, its preachers, have terribly failed you, you know the answer to that question is yes. 
But how do we go about this? Since we admit that we do not have that close Christian brotherly relationship with them. And what about the areas of sin that we struggle with? Who are we to try and correct them if we are sinful persons ourselves? Well, we know we would do well to take the plank from our own eye before attempting to remove the splinter from the eye of another. And we are surely right in recognizing that our correction suggestion to another will be to no effect if the area we are addressing is an area in which we ourselves are currently deficient. It would be sheer mockery to gossip about someone being a gossip, or to witness against the evils of pornography while browsing with someone in the adult bookstore. But that having been said, if being sinless was a prerequisite to loving, loving which to some degree will often involve correcting instructing, then the pulpits across the world would be empty places indeed. When I was ordained to preach, receiving the sacrament of reconciliation before ordination was a given in that we wanted to be sure to be cleansed of all sin so as not to have it stand in the way of the graces of the sacrament. Unfortunately, one of the graces of the sacrament was not that we would never sin again. If we had to be perfect to teach and share truth, how would any one of us ever teach anyone anything? So while we continue our efforts to avoid sin, we need to put that objection aside. For friends and acquaintances who have no belief or active faith in God, the first step is to work and pray for their conversion, not correction. We must love them and pray for them and let our love and our joy in the Lord shine into their lives and draw them to want what we have. With their conversion comes an awareness of sin that leads to repentance and a turning away from sin and to the Lord. But when working for the conversion of others, we must remember that one of the things that attracts people to Jesus is the witness of believers. And I'm not talking about correction here, but the witness of the love and joy that is active and alive in the life of a person of faith. Bishop Perez said in his installation homilies this week, that we should be joyful and share the joy that comes from our personal encounter with Jesus, meeting people where they are with the power of the truth. He encouraged us to go back to our personal encounter with Jesus and draw from the well of that experience to share the joy of the gospel. Okay, so if we can talk directly to our family and committed Christians, and we work for the conversion of non-believers, what do we do with the many who fall in between? You know, those people with whom we spend time and count as friends, folks we are close enough to do to know about some sinful situation in their lives, but not close enough to speak to it directly for fear it will just alienate them and create a problem. For these situations, I offer the following possible courses of action. First, we should pray for them end the situation, that God will give us an opening to share. Second, we should never do anything that suggests we condone or agree with their sinful action. Sometimes we can speak more clearly with our silence than with words. And if they interpret our lack of approval or support as disapproval, then so be it. Thirdly, sometimes we can comment indirectly about their sin by commenting about our struggles raising the issue as it concerns us 
and giving them the opportunity to apply it to themselves. For example, if we were invited to participate in an entertainment activity that we thought sinful or a near occasion of sin, we might say, that would not be my choice. I find that such movies or shows create a great deal of temptation for me, and I won't have time to get to confession this weekend. Or, I'm afraid you'll have to count me out. My kids and I just talked about a similar situation, and I want to be consistent in the message I send them. If a person is sharing sinful feelings of anger, jealousy, envy, lust, or others, we might say, Boy, I understand this struggle. I have wrestled with similar feelings in the past myself. The challenge for me was always how to control my emotions and desires so as to be faithful to what I believe. And then there is my personal favorite. Whoa, that is just what Deacon Joe talked about last Sunday at church, and I can't get his homily out of my head, so I will have to pass. Now, after a few comments like this, we will most likely not find ourselves invited to do or approve things that are sinful or would lead to sin. We may also find ourselves outside the group or distanced from the person with whom we have shared in this way. That may be the price we have to pay to witness to our faith in love. The key anytime we share or take a chance in this way is in the second reading, to act in love, be it family, friends, or whomever. We can never share any type of comment or criticism with an attitude of judgment, condemnation, or superiority. It was just such attitudes that Jesus was most critical of in the Pharisees. To do so would not only fail to draw the other away from sin, but would in fact draw us to sin ourselves. We have to speak of what God gives us with a smile on our face, with a humble spirit in our hearts, and with a sincere desire to want the good of the other. Depending on the Holy Spirit to guide us and remembering we are to owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For it is in doing so that we truly love our God. Send questions or comments regarding this podcast to Deacon Joe 2017 at gmail.com.